I am going to show you how uh, an 80s rap song is really biblical. See you in a minute, Facebook. Check this out, everybody else. Joy and pain are like sunshine and rain. Sing it now, God's children. Joy and pain are like sunshine and rain. rain. Give it to a raw baby. I don't know why when I was studying this week, that's so well, because, it's, because they're on to a biblical truth. Anybody remember that one? Rob Bass and DJ EZ Rock. There you go. My brother had a little cardboard box he kept in his room, and he would break that thing out every once in a while when he was into his breakdancing phase. <laughs> Rob Bass leads us out in the final chapter of Stuff Happens with two truths that all God's children, as he said, need to know. The first is, we talked about it two weeks ago, Longfellow said it, and knew, who knew Longfellow and DJ EZ Rock had so much in common? Longfellow wrote, into each life some rain must fall. Bass sang, sunshine and rain. It turns out they both stole it from Jesus, who said, speaking of his dad, he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. The title to the song is the title to the final chapter in Stuff Happens. Joy and pain, sunshine and rain, the stuff that comes into all of our lives, despite this stuff, can you, in the midst of it, find purpose and know joy? Is that just religious gobbledygook, or is it possibly true? See, Jesus made this one little promise that TV preachers and book retailers are not telling you. I will tell you because I am neither on TV nor have I written a book, so it's somewhat easy for me. Jesus did not promise the promotion, the girl, the guy, the job. What he promised, and I wish it wasn't true, but what he promised was stuff. In this world, Jesus said, you're going to have trouble. And so we talked about why in week one. You can go back and check that out. You should. And what we discovered is that everything in this world, everything, that you, can, that you can experience that comes to mind, everything is broken and subject to what the scriptures call frustration. All of us are in bondage to decay. It's all not the way it should be. It's all unraveling. Nothing is as God would have it be. Ladies, do you know what that means? You're right. Your husband is not the man that he's supposed to be. Gentlemen, I'll just leave that there. Uh, <laughs> your kids, your job, your waistline, your hairline, your bottom line, it will one day be what God wants it to be and created it to be. But for today, Paul taught, he wrote this in a letter he wrote to the church at Rome, he said, today everything is groaning for a day that will come when it'll all be made right. But until then, I need you to understand, in this world, stuff is going to happen to you. See, we have to understand it because otherwise, 
When the storms in our lives kick up, when stuff really hits the fan, if we think that just because we're good people, I'm a good person, why is this happening to me? Or I'm a follower of Jesus, I prayed the prayer, I went on the mission trip, I give 10% of my money, why is this happening to me? Because if we don't understand that Jesus said stuff's going to happen, when it happens, our lives and our faith get rocked. This is where you start to hear people say things like, well, I couldn't believe in a God who would let this happen. Or I tried Christianity and it didn't work for me. So the promise is in this life. You're going to have stuff. But there's another promise. It's another truth that Paul wants you to know. And we've been camping out on in this series. Here's what Paul said. He goes, and despite all this, despite everything unraveling, despite everything not being the way it's supposed to be, despite the fact that bad things happen to good people, and we know. We, we don't just presume or assume or guess or hope. Paul says, no, 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 let me explain. I know, I've experienced it, I've been there and done that. We know this, that in all things, because all things happen to good people, right? Not just good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. All things happen to all people. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. How many people have heard that verse before, know it a little bit before I said it? Raise your hand if you've heard that verse. Of course you've heard that verse. Because we love that verse. Right? We pluck it out. We crochet it on pillows. See, this is why sometimes, like, I feel like in the culture sometimes I'm a covert Christian. Because sometimes Christians are so silly. And, and we just pluck things out of the Bible and, I don't know, tattoo them on our arms and and, and, and don't even use them the way that the scripture was teaching them. But it just sounded good. And so it's a sound bite for us. And so that we spin sound bites. And when we spin sound bites and don't understand context, we start to presume that God is saying something that God is not. This verse, God works for the good of those who love him in all things. This is not a promise that when things go wrong, God's going to make them better. My daughter Caroline is waiting. Soon she'll be waiting. She's a junior. She'll be sending out her college applications. And then they're going to come back, right? The acceptances are going to come back, and the rejections are going to come back. And see, when this verse gets applied traditionally, somebody like Caroline's going to go, geez, I got, a, I got rejected from Rutgers, so I'm sure that that must mean that I'm getting accepted to Yale. <laughs> right? We do it all the time. You know, the guy that I met last night with, with the bald spot didn't, didn't text me, so that must mean there's a hotter, wealthier guy that God has for me. Right? Have you been told that? But that's not what this says. That's not what God is doing in your life with stuff. God is not promising to change your circumstances. That's what I want, and that's what I pray for, and sometimes that is what God does. But that is not what this promise is. If God works for the good of those who love him, when stuff happens... And it doesn't mean that he's going to change this stuff. He's not going to change the circumstances. Well, then what is he going to change? Great question. Next verse. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. See, God doesn't promise to change this stuff. Do you know what he promises to do with the stuff? Change you. Oh, I don't want that. I like me just the way I am, just with a bigger house and a nicer car. <laughs> See, th that's not the good news that God is up to right now. 
I, I heard a great quote this week, and it's a massive truth. Please understand this. Jesus Christ did not suffer so that you would not suffer. He suffered so that when you suffer, you become like him. The gospel does not promise you better life circumstances. It promises you a better life and an eternal one. Paul would actually write this to another church. He goes, I want to know Christ. And then he actually uses the word yes, because this is so unbelievable. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him. That's what God is up to. That's the promise that in all things, God is using all of these things to conform you, to change you, to be more like Jesus. Now, can I be honest? These are the quotes that get me fired, but I'm going to share it with you anyway. This is wonderfully religious sounding material. In fact, when things are going well in my life, when the stock market's up and my kids are behaving, I like this promise. I would like to be more like Jesus. But when stuff happens, real stuff, okay? I mean like real stuff. I'm just going to be honest. When real stuff happens, there's a lot of me that just doesn't care about being more like Jesus. I just want it to stop. I don't want to be in the stuff anymore. See, I, I don't really care. Maybe you've been there, right? I don't really care if I'm more like Jesus. I just want my husband back my daughter back. That's a nice religious promise, but I just want my job back or my reputation back. Because the truth is, when it's really bad, I don't want to be conformed into anything. I just want my circumstances transformed into the things I want. I want out of the pain. I don't want purpose in the pain. And trust me, I get that. I've been there. I, I, in fact, every person who wrote every bit of the scriptures that inform and bring context to our faith, they got that too. They wrestled with the same truth that you and I wrestle with because they had to figure out what do you do when you process a good, loving, and all-powerful God who allows all kinds of horrible stuff to happen. Paul understood it. He felt it. He believed. But here's what's interesting. Paul felt all of the things you felt. But he st it didn't shake his faith. He didn't, he didn't stop believing that God was good and loving and all-powerful. That paradox didn't change his faith. See, you can believe that bad stuff happens, but there's a good God. He's still kind and compassionate and loving. In the stuff, he's up to something. And ultimately what he's doing is he's making you like him. Now, I could do a whole series on what that means. What would it be like if we, we were conformed more and more to be like Jesus? But I'm just going to give you two things, and then we're going to be done. Here's the first thing that, that God is up to in conforming you, making you like Jesus through this stuff. Paul writes this in a letter he wrote to a church in a city called Corinth. He says, Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, not promotion, the Father of compassion, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. He didn't say the God that fixes all of our troubles. He didn't say the God that changes all our circumstances, but who comforts us. And then this is interesting. There's a purpose statement here. So that, 
In other words, God is allowing the brokenness of this world and all of the stuff that happens to us so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. God is comforting us in the troubles with a purpose so that we can comfort others. Now, if you know the Old Testament story of Abraham, God, God after, uh, after not, not having this intimate relationship with man, it had been falling apart in the garden, God reestablishes it through a man named Abraham. He calls this kind of nomadic wanderer to himself, and he promises, Abraham, I'm going to bless you, but then he promises him a blessing with a purpose. I'm going to bless you, not for you just to use it, but I'm going to bless you so you can be a blessing. Abraham's family, in fact, his lineage is, is from which Jesus, the ultimate blessing, descends. Abraham was blessed to be a blessing. In our stuff, we receive comfort from God. Why? So that we can com comfort others. But I know that, again, yeah, but I know, but my stuff really hurts, and it doesn't make me feel good that it, I, you know, I just want it to stop. Paul, Paul goes on. He says, For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ... Paul's not just talking about the cross there. He's on, what he's saying is, look, we share in Jesus. We have the commonality of humanity uh, in common with Jesus. Uh, we share in his pain, his hunger, his rejection, his loneliness, his betrayals, his losses, his disappointments. Just as we share in them, our comfort also abounds through Christ. If we're distressed, if we have stuff, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance. Listen, it's such an interesting line. It produces in us patient endurance of the same suffering we suffer. What Paul's saying is we can comfort others based on what we've been comforted through. We can comfort those who suffer from the same sufferings we suffer. Now that sounds complex, but I'm going to make it very raw and simple if I can. I'm a pastor, and I get called into lots of situations to provide comfort. That's what people do. They call their pastor, um, and these are hard situations. These are, are, are tough situations. Honestly, after a lot of years now, when my phone rings, sometimes there's almost like a natural flinch. And I, I want you to know, like, I want to be a good pastor. I try. I try hard. You might not believe that when you hear these talks, but I try hard. <laughs> you know, I, and, and so when I go to, when something, when stuff happens and someone calls, when I go, man, I, I spend some time, I get some, I, I spend some time with the scriptures and I pray and I ask God to help me to, to bring comfort and peace and light into the room. I remember one time, one of the hardest calls I got, was driving home from vacation. It was in July. We were on our way home on a long trip and I got a call on my cell phone and I flinched from a friend of mine who had just lost his teenage son in a terrible car accident. And, you know, I went from my house, still in my vacation clothes, and I went to their home, and, and I remember before going over there, I, I was spent some time g gathering scripture, I spent some time in prayer, and I went to their house, and when I got there, I held them both, I, I wept with them both, I prayed with them both, I read scripture with them both, but I'm going to be totally honest with you really honest. My ability to comfort them, even in the moment, it seemed to have its limits. There was like this gap between the ability I had to comfort them and the pain that they were going through. Do you know why? 
because I never lost a son. And so as I was thinking about this, as I wrote this talk this week, I thought about my friends, Al and Grace. They also go to Mendham. They too lost a son in their teenage years. And I kept thinking to myself, what would it have been like in that moment for them to have walked through the door of that house? The power in that moment when those two sets of parents just locked eyes on one another. The comfort that they could have provided for each other, which I mean, I would... I'm, I wasn't anywhere close to doing what could have been done there. The hope that could have been given that I couldn't give. I had truth to share and verses to share and prayers to pray, but I hadn't been there. I hadn't walked through it and come out the other side. Paul says that in our stuff, God is comforting us with a purpose so that we might actually comfort others. We're conformed into what Jesus is for others. In fact, this principle is so deep and huge and profound, he writes another letter, and it is this cryptic line that has sent churches all over the place, misunderstanding it. He writes it to a church in the city of Colossae. Paul goes, now I rejoice in my stuff. I rejoice with my suffering. Why, Paul? Because I'm suffering for you. It's going to have a benefit for you. Why? I fill up my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. For the sake of his body, which is the church. And, and now a lot of cults and crazy religious stuff is, is built up around us because people are going, oh, well, I guess Jesus, his sacrifice wasn't sufficient. There must be something I have to do. That Christ's afflictions weren't enough. That's not what Paul is saying. Jesus' sacrifice covers your sin. It is all you need. By faith you are saved. Through grace, lest no man should boast. That is not what the scripture is talking about. What Paul is saying is, I am suffering for your regard so that I can show you Jesus. God is conforming me to Christ and making me for his church a living, breathing Jesus. Not someone you read about, but somebody who has suffered and gone through what you are going through. And I am here with you, Paul says, showing you through my suffering how much God loves you. Now, Paul must have been a major league comforter. I mean, like a world-class comforter. See, I'm not that good at comforting, because if I'm honest, I haven't had a ton of stuff. I mean, I've had some, and I could comfort you through some of it, but I haven't had as much as others. I mean, look, if you're, in my mind, like, I'm a long-suffering Mets fan, right? So like, if you're like a Cleveland Browns fan, I could come and I could walk with you and talk of the hope that, that is in Christ for your team, right? But once it gets past some of that, it gets a little harder. And Paul, man, he must have been such a comfort to people. You know why? Because he had walked through so much. Uh, some of you don't know who Paul was. Paul was a really good guy, like a really religious guy. He kept all the laws. He was a big wig in the church, right? And then he runs into the risen Jesus. He never met Jesus while he was alive, but he runs into the resurrected Jesus. And then he becomes not just a good guy, then he becomes like the most renowned follower of Jesus. And, and so now this goes against everything you've been taught, because here you have a good guy that didn't do anything wrong, and a good guy that's following Jesus. And Paul says, let me tell you about some of my stuff. 
In fact, to that same church that he was talking about, we, we are comforted to provide comforting. In that same letter, Paul reminds those people, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in the danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and have gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and I've gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concerns for all the churches. I'm just hoping the Mets win 90 games. <laughs> right? Paul's going, look, I was put all of, through all of this stuff for a purpose. In all of this stuff, God has comforted me so that I can comfort you. Because I've become more like Jesus. And I'm now going to show you him. Paul wrote, in all his stuff, let me give you the second thing that stuff is doing in your life, even though we want out of it. Paul wrote, in all of this stuff, he actually wrote this from a jail where he likely thought he was in a city called Philippi, or he's writing to, he was in Roman jail, he was writing a letter to a city in Philippi, and he's likely thinking, this could be his last letter, I'm probably going to get my head taken off. Here's what Paul writes, he goes, I've learned something. Now, this is something that needs to be learned. It is not a natural response. Paul did not go, because what came naturally to me was this. He says, no, this is, this is not usual. I, I had to be taught it. I, I, I had to understand things in a different way. Not to try, because my natural response, if you're like me, my natural response is get me out of the circumstances. But Paul says it took some suffering and comforting from God, and I've learned in my stuff to be content whatever the circumstances. I'm not content in good cir circumstances. I just like more. Now, I'm just I'm trying to be a jerk, but this one's the most simplest way. I've communicated it many times before. Last year, I bought a 65-inch television. My neighbor said it's like a beacon in the night in the family room, like he looks out his window. He can see John's TV. And I was like the man around the block, right? You know, us men. Right? You see, Eisman's got a 65-inch TV over there. And I went out and made sure they knew it was an OLED, too, so they understood how the quality of that TV. And then it happened. Dan Higgins got a 75-inch TV. <laughs> I wasn't even content with my 65-inch TV anymore. Paul's going, no, 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 I've, I've learned to be content. He goes on, no matter what the circumstances. I've learned, in fact, I've been conformed so much to be like Jesus by this stuff. No matter what happens, no matter the storm that surrounds my boat, I've learned how to sleep just like Jesus right through it. In all the stuff, I've learned to be content even when I can't change my circumstances. Joy and pain, sunshine and rain. I mean, wouldn't you like to know how to do that? I mean, I'm just trying to learn how to do it if I, the guy across the street gets a nicer car than I get. So everyone wants to be happy. So, Paul, what is it? We all want to be happy. What, what's the secret? He goes on, because this is, this is that profound. He goes, look, I know what it is to be in need. We just read about all of his issues. And I know what it is to have plenty, because he was once a big wig. I've learned the secret of being content in and every situation. 
any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. I, I learned something this week. Some of you are in a small group and you're gonna be doing uh, some material called In the Meantime. And in one of those teachings, In the Meantime, the, the teacher takes that phrase, I've learned the secret of being content, and he points out something I never had be heard before, which is that I have learned the secret of being content is actually one word. It's just one big Greek word. It was a first century cultural word. It's not used anywhere else in your Bible. You don't see it much in antiquity. Paul never used it again. Here's what the word is. Mm, I don't know how to say that, and I couldn't find anybody that did. But it's something like uh, Myanmar, I don't know. Um, no, it's like uh, Memyame. Memyame, he says, I have Memyame. Well, if you look up Memyame, here's what it meant in the culture at the time. It meant to instruct or initiate into the mysteries. I have been, Paul says, in all things, I have, I have been initiated into a mystery of comfort. Now, I don't know if you've ever been initiated into anything. When I was back at Rutgers in the 1980s, they used to do uh, fraternity initiations. Anybody ever go through a fraternity initiation? Not that I'm, did I, I'm a pastor, I didn't do any of those things, but I heard that there was people that had to go through some of these initiations. In fact, I remember at Rutgers, one of, the, one of my favorite stories was um, they, there was this one frat, it was you know, a big three-story house, and what they would do is they would take the brothers one at a time out in the front lawn during what they referred to as Hell Week, and it was the initiation, and the guy, there'd be brothers up on the top of the roof, and they'd be dropping a bowling ball, and they'd be crushing different things that they'd put on the ground. You know, fish tank, crush, vase, crush. You know, they'd stronger and stronger things that drop the ball, and it would crush them. And then just when, you know, it crushed the strongest thing that you could think a bowling ball could crush, they would grab the pledge, hold him down on the ground, and the guy would drop the bowling ball. Only it was one of those children's bowling balls just filled with air. There was nothing in it, you know? You see, it's not funny, I know, but in my mind, I was like, that's brilliant, right? Like, that's an initiation. And what Paul is saying is, I have been initiated into something that most people don't understand. And it's what allows me to be content no matter what happens to me. And here it comes. And it's, a, it's the second misunderstood scripture of the day. People put it on pillows. This one's a big tattoo one. I'm probably offending somebody because you probably have this tattooed on you. Somebody's going to have this tattooed. I guarantee you're going to show me in the foyer. It's repeated by athletes. This is the secret. This is what he was initiated. This is the mystery he's been initiated into that very few people come to understand. It's the secret for surviving and being content and finding joy in the pain. Here's the mystery. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things. See, I'm used to some athlete saying that right before he goes and does something. I'm used to watching a five foot two guy recite that five times and try to slam dunk a ball. Right? Like, this is what we do. I can do all things who, through Christ who strengthens me. See, Paul is not talking about giving you strength to close the big deal, the courage to swipe left instead of right. He's not, he's not telling you that, that, oh, you know, I mean, I remember when I was a kid in school, right? I didn't study for that test, but I remember sitting in there. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can pass this test even though I have no idea what this guy is asking me right now. Because I have Christ. That's not the promise. 
What Paul is saying is, I have discovered that even in the worst of circumstances, when faced with pain and disappointment and loss like you can't believe, I've been initiated into a secret, this cult of contentment, that it is possible, not of my own strength, but I have discovered mysteriously that there is available to people who are going through absolute hell, a power outside of themselves, the power of God, the same power Jesus went through life with is available to you to give you strength, to be content no matter what is happening to you, no longer dependent on your circumstances. See, our faith, the Christian faith, is not a faith that says all that you see is all that there is. We are not just physical beings. We are spiritual beings. And what Paul is saying is that there is more than your circumstances. There is something more powerful than your predicament. In the spiritual realm, there is available to you a power. It's a mystery, but Paul found it. See, your stuff, it's like the access key for this power. It's hard to, it's hard to know it. I mean, so few of us have ever tasted it because we're so focused on changing our circumstances. But Paul's saying, I have discovered that in my stuff, there was a way to be content and have joy and peace and comfort, and it wasn't because anything changed. Some of you know it. I've talked to a few of you. I'm still sick. My husband still left. My kid's still addicted, and my house is still in foreclosure. How are you doing? I'm okay. I found something, a key. It's not my strength. He's not changing any of the outside circumstances. He's doing something in me. I'm being somehow conformed into the image of Jesus so that I have the power of Jesus. Jesus' circumstances were not changing on the outside, but he walked through life with a power that so few of us know with joy and contentment and peace. As I thought about this, picturing Paul writing this, thinking he's about to die. And he's going, I have to tell these people, I have found a mystery. Most of you don't know it, and you're not going to know it until you go through some stuff. But when you go through some stuff, there is a power available to you like you can't believe. And, and I thought about um, uh, Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Read his bi biography a couple summers ago, great book. Bonhoeffer was a 20th century pastor and theologian. He wound up uh, a German. He wound up becoming an outspoken critic of Hitler in Nazi Germany, which, as you can imagine, didn't go well. And he had some stuff happen. In fact, I mean, if you know history at all, Germany and Europe had a lot of stuff happening. Which is where this crazy quote comes from, from a, a German pastor called Hermann Gruner. He wrote, and I know it's always a mistake to bring Hitler in anything, but this is some major stuff. He wrote, the time is fulfilled for the German people of Hitler. It's because of Hitler that Christ, God the helper and redeemer, has become effective among us. It is because of the worst thing that you could possibly imagine happening that suddenly Jesus became effective. See, eventually Paul, who spoke out against the Roman Empire, just like Bonhoeffer, just like Paul, he winds up in a Nazi prison. And like Paul, on his way to death. And here's what Bonhoeffer discovered in the prison, on his way to death. The mystery. 
he was initiated into a secret of contentment. In fact, I've read it before. It's just so amazing. There was a, a, a German camp doctor who witnessed Bonhoeffer's hanging. And here's how, word for word, he described the scene. He said, the prisoners were taken from their cells, and the verdicts of the court-martial were read out to them. Through the half-open door in one room of the huts, I saw Pastor Bonhoeffer. Before, I mean, I, it's, I read this, and it's like, you're not, you shouldn't even use the word pastor before your name. But I saw Pastor Bonhoeffer, and before taking off his prison garb, kneeling on the floor, praying fervently to his God. I was most deeply moved by the way this lovable man prayed. He was so devout and so certain that God heard his prayer. At the place of execution, he again said a prayer, and then he climbed the steps of the gallows, brave and composed. His death ensued in a few seconds. In the almost 50 years I've worked as a doctor, I have hardly ever seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. He learned the secret. You can too. In your stuff. In your stuff. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. As the band comes up, I'll close with this. I think this is what Paul would say to you in closing a series on this. He writes to the church. He writes to you. He goes, look, we don't want you to be uninformed about the troubles, the stuff that we've experienced. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. And here comes the purpose. But this happened so that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. On God who raises the dead. May you find this day comfort in the midst of your stuff. I'm not making light of your stuff. Some of you are going through absolute hell. May you find contentment despite the circumstances you can't control as you are initiated into the mystery of the power and the strength of God resting on you. May you this day in your stuff feel the comfort of God who comforts us in our trials so that we might comfort others with the comfort we've received and we might experience in ways we could never imagine what it is like to be fully conformed into the peace, hope, purpose, strength, and power of Jesus, the Son of God.